This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jonathan Mayo, joined this week by Sam Dykstra. Uh, Sam, welcome. I think, if I'm not mistaken, that this is the first time we've had this configuration of I believe so, yeah. folks. Yeah, this, this, I mean, this will be That's fun, though, Jonathan, me and you doing yeah. this together. I mean, this, this is, uh, I'm happy to join this podcast in whatever combination we can do it, but anytime it, it's a first time we can uh, figure this thing out together, it should be a fun one. Yeah, we just want to help the ball club out, so it's... Uh, you know, it's it's all good. I'm excited as well. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about prospects and, and playoff races. Uh, we've got a look at hot minor league pitchers down the stretch uh, based on a story that we did last week, uh, one for each organization. We're going to be joined by one of those pitchers. Grayson Rodriguez is joining the podcast this week. And of course, we'll take a look at a new member of the top 100 prospects list as always. And then we will finish off with your questions in the mailbag. So, Sam, we're, get, we're getting down to it here, uh, you know, even though the minor league season started late. Normally, we, you know, we'd we be almost completely wrapped up by now, uh, although I don't know what the word normally means. I think we should probably remove that from our vocabulary. But we're, we're closing in on playoff races in the minor leagues. Before we sort of look at specific prospects, and there are, there are plenty of elite prospects who get the chance to play in the playoffs. So I'm just curious, like, what what's your take in terms of what the playoffs mean? Obviously, it's fun, right? You know, you want teams to win and things like that. But from a from a development perspective, you know, what importance do you think the yeah? I mean, the playoffs. You have talk to anybody days? who plays in the playoffs, and they'll always tell you it's important. Like that, you play a hundred plus games during a summer, and you want it to be for something. You want it to be for you know the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Um, so for a lot of these guys, they are playing for something. I was talking to Tristan Cassis a couple weeks ago. Uh, he's gone through a lot this summer. He's gone to the Olympics. He's played in Olympic qualifiers. And I said, you know, what are you looking forward to the rest of the year? And he said, well, we're in a playoff push right now. Uh, that was his inspiration at the time playing up at double a Portland in the Red Sox system. So they matter to the guys on the field. And if they're going to matter to the guys on the field, uh, you know, they should matter to us. Now, on one hand, is there a direct correlation of, you know, you win a bunch of minor league titles, you're eventually going to wor- win a World Series with homegrown talent. I, I don't see it that way. I haven't exactly sat down and done a study of the correlation between minor league championships and uh, World Series championships. But still, it, for these guys, you want them winning as much as possible, uh, especially if you are in a rebuilding organization. You want these guys knowing what it feels like to win. So by, by the time they do make the majors, even if they're joining a major league team that has been losing for several seasons. At least they have that culture of winning, of trying to win, of trying to, uh, you know, get the W every single day. Um, And that starts in the minor league. So if you're going to have playoffs, if you're going to keep standings, if that stuff is going to to matter at at some level, it it should matter uh, when the the actual playoffs come. The example that always comes to mind a little bit um, is the Kansas City Royals team of, of the last decade. Uh, that was obviously built around homegrown talent. A lot of those guys played together in the minor leagues. Uh, they usually won pretty well. So by the time they made it to the majors, they they knew what to do. They knew how to win, and they eventually won a World Series and, and made a couple as well. Um, so I think that's kind of the blueprint. Uh, but, yeah, we'll, we'll have to check back in with this, this, this year's uh, playoff teams and see if they actually, you know, eventually correlated to uh, major league success. Yeah, I think – Right. And I think it's interesting. We, we've we've talked a little bit about, you know, farm system rankings and how that does correlate to playoff appearances. Um, it would be interesting to kind of look at the winning piece. I, I feel like there was a shift and it's a while ago now, you know, once upon a time, 
winning in the minor leagues was fairly secondary and was much more focused from a major league organization standpoint on the individual players development and uh you know and winning was all right fine but it was very much secondary and then at a certain point in time i think people came around to exactly what you said which is winning breeds winning uh you know it sounds simple enough and it doesn't mean that you can't go on to be a a successful player or have a successful major league team if your minor league teams don't make the playoffs but having players who arrive with the expectation that you're going to win that is that's you know a bit contagious obviously you need the talent to do so and i think what's been interesting to see are these teams and i think the royals are a very good example you know that they weren't winning championships by having 27 year old players in in double a things like that which used to happen you know you're seeing guys who are age appropriate or even young getting pushed developmentally and winning so that when they get to the big leagues at age 22 or younger that's what they're they're expecting the example i think of you know here in pittsburgh is when andrew mccutcheon first got to the big leagues that was right when the pirates farm system was kind of turning it around and they had he, he had won uh you know some in the minor leagues he got to pittsburgh with that expectation. Now, Andrew McCutcheon also is maybe not the best example because that guy just was kind of born to want to try to win. And there are guys like that. So may not have mattered, but it does change a culture. I think it, you know, at, at, at the major league level, if they have that history of com- competing, you know, even if it's, uh, you know, not the, the thing that seems to be the most important. The other thing, you know, that's, I think, interesting is there always used to be a kind of debate. Do you bring a guy up for a September call up and let him learn, you know, see what's going on? Or do you leave him down in, in triple a usually or triple or double a, uh, you know, for, for that playoff run? I, I think, you know, because uh, it's been so truncated, how many players you can bring up. That's no, not even part no, of the, really. the equation I mean, anymore. The example it? I immediately thought of when you said that was uh, the Tampa Bay Rays right now. Up and down the organization, they have winners. Every team, as of right now, is above 500 at AAA, AA, High A, and Low A. I think High A and Low A teams are to be clinched. Um, Durham is going to go to the AAA final stretch. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But they've got Vidal Bruhan at AAA. They've got Shane Boz at, at AAA. Both of those guys in a normal year, I think, would be helping the big league club right now, trying to stave off the Yankees and the Blue Jays and the Red Sox in the AL East. Um, but right now they're playing meaningful games. They're going to be playing meaningful games right up till the end of the season because of the way the AAA schedule is working. Uh, and because, like you said, September call-ups are limited to 28-man rosters, it, it makes it a little more difficult to shoehorn those guys in. Um, but, yeah, the, the Rays, I had mentioned the Royals before, the Rays are another great example of that, of I feel like the last couple of years, and that is tied into just how deep of a farm system they've had, so that's made it easier to win. Uh, but the fact that they've bred winners – starting at the lower levels all the way up to AAA and then uh, eventually to the major leagues. That's how we're seeing that sustained success, despite not spending on the free agent market like they have. Right. And they're getting guys like all those teams that you, you, you bring up uh, and let's sort of shift gears a little bit and talk about specific players. Guys are moving more quickly. Uh, You know, you can't make the argument as much. Well, you know, they have to add that guy to the 40 man roster anyway. So why not bring him up? Uh, that combined with the, the the smaller expansion of rosters, you know, it may disappoint Royals fans that Bobby Witt uh, is not going to get called up from Omaha this year. There there are a thousand reasons not to do it anyway. Uh, but the fact that that Omaha and I think you know Toledo's in the in the same boat with Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green, uh, number four and seven on our top one hundred. None of those guys need to get added to the forty man roster anyway. They're going to be in the big leagues at some point next year regardless uh but omaha and toledo toledo uh, <laughs> toledo suddenly i moved them to spain um <laughs> uh yeah, well it was it used to be the international league so that would that would make sense but uh you know the i think the uh you know having them have that experience during this uh new fangled triple a final stretch uh you know will be valuable to, to, to them, especially given where they are in their, in their development. They're yeah, all young yeah, for, I, for I their think, level. 
I mean, that that's one of the things we always consider in prospect evaluation, right, is is age. How are these guys doing um, at a level compared to what their age should be? Are they too old for that level? Or are they too young? Um, getting Bobby Witt Jr. up to AAA, and that was even a consideration for the Royals coming out of the spring with some of the conversations I had with folks in that organization. They thought about that early. Um, it, it seems to have worked out well for them in terms of getting him that foundation of success at AA and moving him to AAA and now – you know, again, playing meaningful games at the AAA level is huge, and they aren't butting up against that deadline, like you said, of, oh, they, you know, if we have to add him to the 40-man in November, we might as well bring him up now. They don't have to have that conversation. Now, we could have that conversation of, is Bobby Wood Jr. doing too well, uh, that AAA is not a challenge, and you should get a look at the majors? Sure, um, but it's not roster decisions driving that, nor is it necessarily playoff consideration. Right. Nor have any of yeah. them been there for that long at that level that it's tiresome. You know, you know, Bobby Wood hasn't been there a year and a half. Um, you know, so I think it'll be fine if he if he's there next year. Uh, some other some other top prospects who are in playoff races right now. Julio Rodriguez, uh, who it doesn't seem to be able to get out since he came back from the Olympics. Uh, our number two prospect, George Kirby, our number 34 prospect. They're both uh, with Arkansas. Uh, we mentioned Witt and we mentioned Torque and Riley Green uh, in AAA. Uh, Marco Luciano, the Giants, is in high A with Eugene, our number five prospect. And then uh, our number eight prospect, Grayson Rodriguez. We have a Grayson Rodriguez theme throughout this podcast, but uh, it'll be interesting to to see. He's he's you know in Double A now, and uh, you know they have a chance to the Bay Sox have a chance to to make the playoffs. They've been watching his workload. Uh, you know, his last outing was just three innings. So that's another thing. He's the one pitcher uh, other than George Kirby is that to bring up in terms of when that innings limit hits up against seeing a guy pitch, you know, under the bright lights of, of the sort of playoff atmosphere. Uh, <laughs> you're Mike Elias, Sam. How much do you let Grayson Rodriguez pitch in the playoffs. I mean, assuming this is going to be very easy for me to say, because I'm saying this as somebody who wants to see as much Grayson Rodriguez as I can. I would say like they sh- should be limiting him through the regular season so that they can let him go in the postseason. Um, the postseason this year in the minor leagues is different than years past. It's just one series. Um, there's only two divi- or two playoff teams from each minor league uh, from double A on down. We can get into triple A here in a second, but uh, it's not like you're asking Grayson Rodriguez to make two or three starts in a five-game series. It's only going to be one start. I would try to get him at least five innings if if you can. Um, again, if you want him playing in a pressure-packed situation, in a situation that matters, knowing that every pitch uh, has some consequence uh, on your team, I, I would want Grayson Rodriguez getting those innings. Now, again, that's easy for me to say because I want to see his, him as much as possible. They also have to weigh – the fact that he didn't really pitch that much last year except for work at the alt site. Um, you don't want to push him to a fourth and fifth inning if he's really laboring at that point. So it, I would keep the leash semi-tight, but if he's flying the way we we know he can, let him go and 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 you know reap the rewards of having the top pitching prospect in baseball pitching for your double-A team in a meaningful moment. I know. Yeah. That was a little bit of a lob for you, by the way. Like, um, so you're welcome. Uh, you know, but, and he's at 98 innings, right? So it's not like he's thrown, you know, a ridiculous amount of innings, but he is 21 years old and he's yet to go over a hundred innings. Uh, you know, so I, I think there's a little bit left and, and I'm hoping you're right. You know, I'm hoping that they sort of have been really cutting him short now so he can go now. They're not going to let him go eight or nine, you know, but let him go f- you know, between that three and five innings in, in a playoff start, that would be uh, that would be a lot of fun. Uh, let's shift gears because you know uh, Grayson Rodriguez also fits into this next conversation. Uh, last week we did uh, in our weekly one for each team feature uh, hot minor league pitchers a week after doing uh, hot hitters. Uh, again, this was an enjoyable story. Uh, you know, for people who are just joining us for the first time, you know, we we split up. The teams, you know, evenly, uh, 10, 10, and 10. So I'm curious for, for you, Sam, we kind of uh, tasked each other with picking like one on-the-radar guy and one 
sort of more off the radar guy. Uh, <laughs> your off the radar guy was like way off the radar. Uh, so that's that's always fun. So why don't we start there, and then uh, then you can just uh, go right to your yeah the, yeah. The, the when guy we were that putting together this of. list last week, we were having internal conversations of oh, okay, we're we're keeping it to top thirty guys, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was was looking at my Mets pick and talking to people with the Mets. You know, when I was doing my uh, top thirty updates in the middle of the season, one name that came up was Adam Aller. Uh, who, if you haven't heard of him before, he was a Rule 5 pick in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft in 2019. Um, so talk about being off the radar. Uh, he, you know, He was available for every team to pick him. He doesn't have to stick if you're a minor league Rule 5 pick. Uh, 26 years old. He's going to be 27 on October 17th. So he is a little old. But the people who I talked to in the Mets organization were like, hey, we we're having to pay attention to this guy every time he pitches. And at that point, he was at double A. Uh, he got called up to triple A on August 14th, and he's shoved there ever since. He struck out 13 batters in six and two th- six and two-thirds scoreless innings in his triple A debut. Um, over his last nine starts, going back to July 15th, that's a mix of time between double A Binghamton and triple A Syracuse. He has a 172 ERA with 68 strikeouts and only 15 walks in 52 and a third innings. Uh, the Mets organization isn't a very deep one. I think if we were to do these, you know, shake up the top 30s all over again, which I'm not saying we're going to do anytime soon until the offseason. But yeah, not that I'm giving you an assignment. Yeah. But given his trajectory, since he might sneak into that back end of the 30 now, he is old uh, for all these levels, but it seems like He's really taken to throwing a changeup. He has that three-pitch mix. He's throwing it confidently. Uh, the Mets have been really impressed by his ability to do that. He did get a little shaken up last time out, but he's really been putting up ones or zeros uh, between double-A AA or triple-A in the last couple of weeks. So just somebody to keep an eye on. Uh, the same people I was talking to at the begin- in the spring were trying to tip me to Tyler McGill, and we saw Tyler McGill pitch really well for the Mets this year, climbing to the major league level. So maybe – I'm not saying Adam Aller is – Tyler McGill. Tyler McGill was much more firmly on the radar, um, but the trajectory is a little bit reminiscent of that. So something to keep an eye on there. My one that's firmly on the radar is Matthew Liebertor. Uh, Matthew Liebertor got sent to AAA extremely aggressively, I would say, by the Cardinals. He's pitched at age 21 throughout the season uh, at AAA. A little break here and there for Olympic qualifiers, but he's been with Memphis for the entire season. Seems to have really taken to the level at the, the back end uh, which is exactly what you want to see. You want to see a guy develop and take his lumps early, but iron those out as the season goes along. Uh, in his last six starts, he has a 3.18 ERA, 36 strikeouts and only 10 walks in 39 and two-thirds innings. Uh, the important thing to know about Libertor going back to his age, when I wrote this piece, he was the only pitcher age 21 or younger to throw more than 65 innings at AAA this is- season, and he's thrown 104 and a third. So he's cleared that bar more than anybody else. I think Hunter Green was the next closest age comparison uh, at that level. Um, so, you know, the Cardinals have, have liked him coming into the year, uh, getting a closer look at him since they acquired him from the Rays. They thought they could push him uh, to AAA. Didn't quite work out so much early on, but that's to be expected of a 20-year-old pitching at the top level of the minor leagues. Uh, he's certainly catching his way at the back end. I don't think he's going to make – a major league debut this year, but he's putting himself in good position to do that at age 22 next year, which would still be incredibly young for a pitcher. Yeah, I've been a, I've been a big Libertor fan since uh, since his his draft days. Uh, being from Arizona, this is my neck of the woods, so uh, I've been watching him very carefully. And uh, if you ever talked to him, he 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 acts and sounds like a 15 year veteran. So he's I had full confidence when he was struggling that he was going to figure it all out. So it's been fun to, to sort of see things kind of click into place a little bit for him uh, here at the, at the end of the year, I would have loved to see him in, in St. Louis, but we'll have to wait till, till 2022. My, my guys, my off the radar guy, I, like I feel a little sheepish because my, my off the radar guy is in the top 10 of a really good farm system. So I don't know how off the radar that is. It's not, you know, you're off the <laughs> radar is like, you know, with all capital letters, mine's maybe more lowercase, but uh, Matt Brash is a guy who's kind of, I think he's, he, you know, if the system weren't as deep, you know, and it didn't have uh, Logan Gilbert graduating and then George Kirby and Emerson Hancock and even Brandon Williamson and, and Connor Phillips and Levi Stout ahead of him, I think Brash would be getting more attention. But you know, he, 
the Mariners got him as a player to be named at the trade deadline from the Padres last year. He, he was out of Niagara. So th- this is not a guy with a huge resume that people had a lot of expectations. And then throw in the fact that he didn't, you know, he didn't pitch last year. No one really knew what to expect. He didn't even really get to work much last year at all because of a shoulder issue. Um, so the Mariners were really getting a first look at him uh, this year. And even though he's, you know, kind of close to an undersized righty, uh, the stuff has ticked up. Uh, his extension is unbelievable. And he has been, I mean, he's been good all year, uh, but he has been particularly good of late. Had a one one six ERA in August. Uh, you know, he's given up just three runs in an 11 and a third uh, innings in two September starts. And that, that all came in his second start in, in September on the 9th. But before that, he had three straight starts of double-digit strikeouts. He threw six innings of no-hit ball in uh, that September 2nd start, struck out 10 and in five innings before that, and 11 and in seven innings, one-hit ball before that. Uh, so he's been really, really, really good uh, and, and will probably continue to be a bit under the radar because of some of those other arms in the, in the Mariner system. But – uh, boy, has he been ridiculously good this year overall between high A and double A, uh, really not having any trouble with the jump to, to double A overall. Overall, a 201 ERA uh, and a 142 batting average against in nine starts since his promotion. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm curious to see him and how much he can continue kind of raising up on those uh, radars. Now, of course, as I mentioned, this is a Grayson Rodriguez themed podcast. So my on the radar guy is Grayson Rodriguez. Surprise, surprise. Uh, you know, uh, talked about the 98 innings overall. He has been really, really good of late, even as they've been kind of protecting him. Uh, you know, over his previous five starts, it was a, like a 304 ERA, a whip under one, 14 strikeouts per nine. Uh, you know, he, he gave a five-inning one-hit uh, start with seven strikeouts, and then they only had him go three, but it was a perfect three innings. I you know It seems to me, Sam, that he's got more in the tank. Uh, you know I guess we'll have to sort of see whether or not your wish is granted, uh, but uh, more of yeah, that guy yeah, would, be, uh, and, would be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, we're, we are getting in that territory now where whatever Grayson Rodriguez starts and just whatever – performances we can get from any prospects are going to have to sustain us until the spring, uh, which makes me sad on some level, but uh, again, grateful after what we had in 2020, the fact that we are talking about these guys shoving down, down the stretch is, has been really fun to watch and uh, especially follow their development again, after so much of this happened behind closed doors last year. Well, don't forget, we make you know we're going to have the Arizona Fall League in some capacity, so at least we'll have that too. Uh, we don't know how many arms will be there or who's going to be there, but uh, that that's a topic for another podcast. But hopefully, that will help us sort of bridge that gap, that terrible, terrible gap between the end of the break of the twenty twenty one season and and spring training yeah, in twenty twenty two. All right, when we come back, we're going to be joined by the one, the only Grayson Rodriguez of the Baltimore Orioles. That's next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jonathan Mayo along with Sam Dykstra this weekend. We are very excited to welcome into the podcast the top pitching prospects, at least according to our rankings, but I think according to most rankings, Grayson Rodriguez of the Baltimore Orioles. Grayson, thank you so much for for taking some time uh, with us today. Yeah, no problem. Thank you all for having me on. I want to I want to sort of start kind of big picture because you know 2019 was a, a big year for you. You go to the futures game, first full year, you know, uh, you know things going well, and then you know everyone has to kind of slam on the brakes last year. 
because of the pandemic. Uh, you did, you know, get some work in, but not competitive. Uh, fast forward to this year, you know, ha- have you even been surprised at the progress you were able to make? Were you were you unsure of where you were just because of that lack of competition in 2020? Um, you know, not really. Uh, we were able to get in a lot of good work um, in our alternate site. Um, I know that might sound or might seem crazy, but. Um, you know, with all of our analytical technology and stuff like that, we were able to see kind of what would play and what wouldn't um, in terms of the organization dies. Um, you know, we also had quite a few hitters there, more than pitchers. Um, so there were some big league guys for me to face. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a big learning experience. There were days where I got hit around pretty good. Um, you know, just figuring out that you can't throw the ball down the middle anymore, no matter how fast it is. Um, and basically your off-speed pitches have to be there. So I was able to make that adjustment uh, coming into spring training this year, and, and it's worked out great for me. Yeah, and you mentioned a big part of last year was just relying on analytics and seeing what pitches played best and what or- the organization thought played best. And as part of that process and going into this spring, preparing to pitch a full season again, what did you learn most about yourself through the, that uh, sourcing and, and through what the organization was giving you as feedback? Um, I would say – kind of what pitches to use and what counts or where to throw certain pitches, um, kind of where they work best at, um, whether it be curveballs or sliders to left-handed hitters more or curveballs or sliders more to right-handed hitters, um, change up, being able to figure out that we can throw that to right-handed hitters also, not just left-handed hitters. Um, and also kind of figuring out where we can throw the cutter, um, seeing what kind of pitch that is, um, whether if we mess around with it and it, it turns into be like a 90 mile an hour slider, 88, 90, 88, 90 mile an hour slider, or kind of like a 92 mile an hour cutter. Uh, we were able to kind of toy around with that and kind of see where that fits in and, and what I can do with that as well. You know, Grayson, you, you, you know, fairly quickly earned a promotion from, from high A up to double A. And a lot of people talk about that as being this, you know, kind of big separator for minor league prospects. You haven't uh, struggled too much with that, uh, with that jump. What what are the biggest differences that you've noticed uh, maybe in terms of what works, what doesn't work? Uh, You've made adjustments quickly, but uh, you know, have the hitters been that much more advanced than, than what you faced before the promotion? Um. You know, I would say that it's more of an approach thing. I think you're facing a lot older guys in double A uh, compared to high A. Um, you know, they've kind of been around the block a few times. They're 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 going up to bat looking for a certain pitch. Um, in A ball, you get a lot of aggressive swingers, a lot of guys that are just swinging at strikes, not necessarily their pitch. Um, so I would say that'd be the big difference is, is you're facing hitters that kind of have a plan, know what they're up there to do. Um, and really, if 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 you let a, a fastball go down the middle or a hanging change up or a hanging breaking ball, whatever it might be, that, you know, it's probably going to be hit hard. And those hitters know how to, you know, respond to that and uh, do some damage with it. You, know, you showed pretty early on a willingness to kind of use all your stuff. But when you have that, you know, fastball that you know approaching triple digits in the, your back pocket is, is that another thing like you know as you get higher uh although like i said it seemed like you understood that that was something you were going to have to learn eventually so might as well work on it right out of the gate you can't necessarily just reach back and blow guys away at the upper levels or, or in the big leagues guys in the big leagues can hit 100 uh but knowing what to do with it knowing how to command it and mixing it with your other pitches that's what's going to make you the guy you want to be eventually that's right um you know, that's what I was saying at the alternate site. Um, you know, some days the only thing I had was a heater. And even though we're throwing it 98, 99 miles an hour, whatever it might be, I mean, it's it's still, it's still it's nothing to those guys. It doesn't phase them at all. Um, they're still able to put barrels on it, whether it be the opposite way or up the middle. Um, and, and, you know, usually if they're sitting on it, they have no problem, you know, turning on it, pulling it down the line or anything like that. And speaking of double A and making that transition, a lot of guys say double A is where you start to feel close to the majors. You've been at at that level with Bowie, you know, since June. So you've been pretty comfortable there. Um, but what was your kind of welcome to double A moment? What was the moment where you felt like, oh, hey, I'm only two steps from Baltimore? 
Um, you know, really, I hadn't let myself think about it like that. Um, you know, I just kind of put my head down, uh, you know, gone out for every start. Um, you know, obviously we're close to Baltimore. We're only 25, 30 minutes outside of Baltimore, but you know, really I try not to think about stuff like that. Um, I mean, it, obviously it is a lot closer. The hitters are a lot older and everything like that. But, you know, my, my goal kind of stayed the same. It's to just kind of go out and try to dominate every start. One of the things, Grayson, you know, that um, Orioles fans can't wait for, obviously, is seeing you throw to Adley Rutschman in Camden Yards. Now, you know, you were together at the alternate site. You spent a little time in, in Bowie before he got bumped up. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about the relationship you've been able to forge with him, even though it's not been, you know, you haven't spent a full season throwing to him and, you know, how excited are you to, to be able to throw to him every five days once, once you do get to Baltimore? Yeah. So the alternate site was huge for us last year. I really didn't know Adley coming into 2020 um, and, and 19 when he had gotten called up to low A, um, I was able to make one start or two starts with him. Um, so I really didn't know him then either. Uh, but, you know, at the alternate site last year, we were kind of forced to hang out. Um, <laughs> we were the, we were kind of closer in age. But, uh, you know, I mean, we really kind of hit it off. Um, I mean, he's a great guy off the field, you know, fun to hang around with. Um, you know, knows how to joke around and not and not be serious all the time. And, and I love, you know, I love to mess around as well. So uh, we were able to form a pretty good friendship. Obviously, that carried over off season and into spring training this year and you know we we love to be around each other and and like to like to work together even more and as an organization right now uh you know speaking of that relationship you guys forged last year at the alt site dl hall was also on that buoy team uh when healthy i feel like a lot of it is coalescing around that high a double a level um, Gunnar Henderson right behind you guys. How much do you guys talk about just being the future of Baltimore baseball? Because I, I know people around that area, you know, are aching for a contender again, and, and they're looking at you guys with very keen interest. How many, how much do you guys think or t- talk about it openly about how you guys could be the next contender uh, in that city? Um, you know, I mean, we think about it often, um, you know, whether it's DL that brings it up or Gunnar or whoever. Um, it's it's nice to think about it, you know, and daydream and stuff like that. And and the fans do a good job of letting us hear it too. Uh, you know, we'll be sitting sitting in the bullpen or in the dugout or wherever in, a, in our minor league game, and they're yelling it at us and stuff like that. Um, so it's a lot of fun to talk about stuff. Um, you know, kind of realize that that these guys that you're watching right now that you know can be your teammates for the next twenty years um, potentially. So. I mean, it's a lot of fun to think about and stuff like that. And, you know, we have a good time with it. And Grayson, you're a Texas guy, uh, got drafted into a mid-Atlantic organization. What's the biggest thing you've learned about Baltimore, Baltimore fans, the area around Maryland? Like you said, Bowie, you guys aren't too far from there. Um, I'm not going to ask you if you are a Baltimore guy yet. I'm sure you're still a Texan through and through. But what have you learned about just the culture of that area uh, since getting drafted a couple years back? Um, I'd say they love crab cakes and that if they can put Old Bay on anything, they will. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The the food up here is a lot different than it is back home. Uh, But, you know, I've come to like it a lot, Uh, you know, whether it be crab cakes or crab dip or any – I mean, they – crab is in everything up here and like i was saying about old day that is too uh, you know the, the other day after the game we had a post-game meal that was uh chicken grilled chicken wings but it was old day season so i've never had i've never had chicken wings or anything like that ever have old day on them uh, and i'm not gonna lie it's pretty good but you know stuff up here like that is a lot different um but the food the food's fantastic and i think orioles fans are you know, about as good as they come, whether it's, you know, in the national anthem, they're yelling O's and all the kind of stuff like that. I think there's a lot of history uh, with Camden Yards and, and with Baltimore fans. Um, you know, it's kind of neat to look at and realize, um, you know, they love Jim Palmer. Um, I've gotten to talk to Jim a few times and, and you know, he's been phenomenal. And I don't know, just kind of seeing the history um, about the Orioles organization is kind of, I mean, it's, it's breathtaking. Yeah, it's not bad having a, a Hall of Fame pitcher uh, right there to 
to to pick his brain when you need to, right? Absolutely. Jim's a great guy. And uh, just so people don't misunderstand, you know, you're still a barbecue guy. I mean, you may like the old bay on the chicken wings, but it's not like you've completely, you know, divorced yourself of of Texas barbecue, right? Absolutely not. I love uh, I love barbecue. Um, you know, grew up on it and, and steak. You know, that's beef's kind of a staple down there. So I, I can't wait to get back to it either. Stay true to your roots, Grayson. That's you know that's the lesson I think we're taking from here. We, we, you don't want to give any of that up. The, la- the last thing I wanted to ask you, and Sam sort of touched on it a little bit, because you know Bowie is nearby, and you know uh, the Orioles uh, sort of for years now have done the, a good job of having their minor league affiliates kind of in the vicinity. You know, you hit Double A. Uh, you know, you know you're getting close. Camden Yards is a shout away. You know, what do you do to kind of slow yourself down? So you don't try to do too much to, to get there knowing that you're, you're, you know, you're getting very close. Um, you know, I just try to take it day by day. Um, you know, win each day, show up to the ballpark and get a little bit better. Um, you know, like in terms of movements and promotions and stuff like that, I've never been one to want that or, or try or try for that specifically, you know, it's kind of in the organization's hands and Michael Elias and, you know, if you go out there and do your job on the field every six days, then you know all that stuff will take care of itself. So, really, I've just this year specifically, I've just tried to have tunnel vision. Um, you know, work. You know, really focus on each start um, and not think about four starts from now, five starts from now, or next month or whatever it might be. You know, I've just really been taking it day by day, and, and so far that's been great for me. All right, Grayson. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here into a neat little bow, you know, we talked about what you were able to do last year at the alt site and how close you are now. Uh, but getting to bare bones, like this is the return of minor league baseball. This is a year in which things were as normal as we felt since 2019. So when you look back at this year, as you've gone from high A to double A with success at both levels, gotten a little bit closer to Baltimore. I know the season's not over yet and you guys have a potential playoff run ahead of you, but how are you going to remember uh, the 2021 season, do you think? Um, you know, I'd say that this is the year and the first time that I've ever really learned how to pitch. Um, read scouting reports um, and, you know, just kind of go out and attack hitters uh, with my strengths and their weaknesses. Um, you know, that's kind of been a pride thing for me this year is just kind of learning, learning how to be a pitcher, uh, you know, and not go up there and just throw. Um you know, utilizing heaters at the top of the zone, um, breaking balls down in the dirt, or, you know, 3 0 pitches for strikes. Like, I'm, you know, I would always go heater 3 0, whatever, to get back in the count. This year, I've been able to go curveball, slider, change up, whatever it is, to work back when I'm behind. And to me, that, that's kind of huge. Um, you know, something I can figure out that I can do. Um, and that's, it's been awesome. Well, Grayson, if you're just learning how to pitch now, the American League East is, is in for a whole heap of trouble. Uh, I want to thank you very much for 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 joining us uh, here on the Pipeline Podcast. Uh, good luck the rest of the way, and obviously we'll be watching you closely. Thank you very much. Thank you all for having me. All right, when we return, we'll discuss the newest member of the Top 100 Prospects list and dip into the listener mailbag that's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jonathan May along with Sam Dykstra. We'll have that many more top 100 replacements coming. <clears throat> Maybe a few here and there, but we did have one. Uh, Jose Barrera was brought back up to the Reds and graduated off as a result of the, of the top 100. And uh, as luck would have it, he has replaced by another middle infielder, Bryson Stott of the, of the Phillies. Um, 
who has been very good of late. And he, Sam, he's, he's this guy that's been like, he's been in the top 100. He's been in that next up range for, for, for quite some time. Uh, you know, what, what are your, what are your thoughts on him? He, he does seem to be hitting his stride. Uh, yeah, in, especially you know, of late, like this year. since August 1st, he's got a 371 batting average and an OPS above a thousand at 1.022. Um, Bryson Stott, I think since the Phillies grabbed him all those years back, has kind of been like the human embodiment of the 55 grade. It kind of feels like he's above average hit, above average running, above average fielding, above average arm. Um, He plays a premium position at shortstop. I know they've moved him around a little bit uh, with time at second base. Uh, just trying to find a spot for him. I think he even has a little bit of third base in there. Yeah, four games at double A. Uh, again, because the arm yep. could potentially play there, and you're just trying to find a spot. I know, obviously, the Phillies have a little bit of an issue right now at third base with Alec Bohm not quite performing to standards there, especially defensively. Uh, so maybe that's a spot that Bryson Stott eventually ends up at. But he seems to do everything generally pretty well. Uh, the power is the only thing that really lags. But even that this year, uh, he has 15 homers between high A and double A in his age 23 season. Um, so, you know, that when you have a bunch of 55 grades across the board, you're going to be a top 100 candidate. Uh, he certainly slides his way back on here. Uh, but like you said, like he's somebody who's always been on the fringes of that. It, it, when uh, we had some graduations, I think earlier in the season, we put him on and then we added a bunch of draft guys and that pushed him out of the picture. And now we've had a bunch of graduations and he kind of sneaks back on there again. Um, so he's right around the fringy 100 uh, is a good way of putting him. But that's that's not to knock him. That is certainly a strength of his uh, that he's doing this already and doing this at double A uh, and ending the season on a strong note and giving himself plenty of momentum and securing his spot on here. Uh, uh, what, what has stood out to you about him since he was grabbed in the 14th overall pick? Yeah, you know, he he's one of these guys that it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being a better major leaguer than he was a prospect, if that makes sense. Just because he, you know, he doesn't have, as you pointed out, he's got a bunch of good tools. He doesn't have several jump off the chart tools that the guys who are at the sort of upper echelons of our lists are. And I think that's kind of why he's always been on that. Well, maybe, uh, you know, he's, he's good, uh, you know, but he's not as good as other options that we've had necessarily. And, and and frankly, we, we also haven't had huge amounts of data on him because of everything. You know, he was, again, he was solid during his pro debut. Uh, you know, he had an 885 OPS. It's very good. Um, and But it was mostly in short season ball. Uh, and then, you know, 2020 happened. And then this year he started in high A and was kind of, again, Okay, uh, and then got bumped up, uh, and has been performing well in in Reading, which is a good place to hit. You know, if you're not going to hit there, then there there might be trouble. So I'll be curious to see, you know, wh- how the power continues to to translate for him. Uh, you know, that being said, you know, left-handed hitter in Philadelphia that should should work out okay, and he can and he can play shortstop, and I think he's showing that he can get moved around depending on where the need is at the, the big league level. So he's, you know, he, he may be one of those, uh, you know, the whole is better than the sum of his parts kind of guy. And then once he gets to the big leagues as playing every day, I might look back and say, you know what? I, I probably underappreciated just how solid of a, of a player. Yeah, I mean, was that, a guy with sense. a bunch of good to average tools is never a bad bet. Uh, to, and, and it's never a bad bet that something will pop in a way that we haven't seen yet either. Um, so, yeah, sliding him on here is just uh, acknowledgement of having a wide breadth of tools rather than one really standout one. Right, and I'm the first to admit that sometimes I, you know, it, it's easy to lose sight of a guy who is solid across the board uh, uh, for the sort of shiny object of the of a guy with like really wow tools and and you know I think what's happened this year is that Stott you know, especially since up in double A is using those tools a little bit more consistently in terms of production. Uh, and that's why he's on there now. All right, let's finish up as we always do with our mailbag. 
this comes from Spencer O'Gara. With all the recent discussion about second base prospects establishing themselves on their own, do you see relief pitchers doing the same in the next few years? Should fans expect to see relievers on future top 100 lists? And I think the sort of the comparison here, Sam, is that it used to be that second basemen were failed shortstops and relievers were failed starters. So I, I guess we we'll start with that part first. You know, how much do we need to sh- continue to shift our perspective on yeah, these I think subset of I understand prospects. the question and I understand where it's coming from. Like you said, like the idea of it, a certain position being a failed version of another position. Uh, but comparing second baseman and relief pitchers isn't even apples and oranges. It's like apples and lettuce. Like they, it's just second basemen still play every day, right? <laughs> like even if they are not the premium position of shortstop, they're pre- still bringing value to the team every single day. Uh, and it's still an up in the middle position. Second base is, is not easy to play defensively. Um, you still need to show, show decent range there, if not the arm, but at least you need to be able to cover some ground and be athletic. Uh, so I, I think gearing things that, that way is a kind of an acknowledgement of what second base brings. Um, to your point about relieving, it, it's difficult for me to say that, no, we're never going to have a relief pitcher in the top 100. I think certain... Prospects have shown that, yes, you can bring value to a team every day if you are just pitching a couple innings a week here and there. Um, The closest example I can think of right now to us currently having a reliever on the top 100 is Nate Pearson. Uh, But that's the reason why we have him on there is because even the Blue Jays say, like, we still project him as a starting pitcher, uh, even if we're using him in a relief right now. And spoiler alert, Nate Pearson, if he stays on the major league roster, is going to graduate this week anyway. So we're not going to have that discussion this offseason of where do we put Nate Pearson on the top 100. Uh, it's, It's just difficult for me to say that a reliever is going to get on there just because of the limit of their value. Um, but we've seen the game morph and change. And, you know, the, the way relievers have been used in the last couple of years is different from what it was five years ago or 10 years ago. Uh, so if we get to a point where guys are being legitimately developed as three inning relievers, who are going to throw twice a week. Maybe we have to change that calculus. We're not there yet. Uh, but, who knows with the way things are trending and uh, way, the way certain philosophies kind of take hold. So for now, no. In the future, I wouldn't I wouldn't completely say no, but we'll see how things go. Um, Jonathan, what are your feelings on this? Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's right. You know, one of the things that gets tricky is, you know, it. I don't even want to call them failed starters because sometimes there are guys who were starters in college that you just know are going to end up in the bullpen and they get moved and they sometimes they move really quickly and it, and and they're in the big leagues you know especially those college guys uh, who uh, you know and and before you even get a chance to kind of contemplate this question from a philosophical standpoint whether or not well if you know he's a reliever now you know top one hundred uh, you know I'll admit that there probably is you know that's still. Um, I don't want to say I'm holding on to a bias, but there is that part of me is like, well, you know, we probably like him more if he were a starter. Um, just, you know, I think that's where the parallel does work. You know, it's changing with the middle infielders, um, although I am going to be making some sort of lettuce <laughs> and apple salad, I think, for mm-hmm. lunch now after after recording. So thanks for that. Uh, you know, is that, you, you know, if all things being equal, if a guy's playing shortstop, you're going to likely rank them higher just like a starter you're going to rank rank higher again i agree that it's not it's not it's not the same comparison but i think in my brain i still pause for for a moment and then there are the guys that you know who you know like you know garrett crochet you know who made it up so quickly and has been so good in the bullpen that he's still there you know we ranked him but that was as of we thought a future starting pitcher i think nate pearson falls in that bucket also it may be that nate pearson ends up as a relief pitcher uh you know we once upon a time had a raw chapman in our top 100 would we have done that if he we thought he was going to be a a reliever only yeah i don't know uh, you know, maybe we should have because, you know, he's been such a dominant closer for such a long amount of time, you know, but it's hard to, it's hard to know because so often, even if guys are relieving in the minors, 
they aren't necessarily closing games. So, you know, we, it's hard to know what the impact will be. And, and what we're really trying to measure when we rank these prospects is what kind of impact yeah. are they going to have at the big league level? Yeah. And we kind of bake that you know, in, I, right? I, like the, what the yeah. floor could be. I mean, we've, we've said it since Nate Pearson was drafted that he has a floor of a reliever. Like we're not completely projecting these guys to be starting pitchers. We, when we figure out where their floor is in the rankings, we're thinking, well, you know, like it, it could flame out and that's why we may drop them a little bit because of that reliever risk. It, it's not something we don't consider. No, that's true. And, and Pearson is probably the highest guy we've ever ranked with that as a, well, that could happen kind of thing. Um, but I don't think we, you know, we had him in our top, you know, I think he cracked the top 10 at one point, certainly the top 15. I, I don't think he'd be top 15 if we thought he was, you know, that that was his ceiling. Um, and that's the, the the difference. Now, whether or not a guy like that should belong, would belong as a reliever only in the 85 to 100 range, maybe. Um, but I think to your point in terms of how the game has morphed and changed, you know, the, the impact the starter has is is somewhat lessened. Uh, you know, the, the front of the rotation guys still, you know, can have more of an impact in terms of the amount of innings. But, you know, think about how often when I, when I look at big league box scores, if I see a guy goes more than six innings, I'm, I take note of it. You know, so, uh, you know, it, it, it may be a combination where the relievers we need to kind of look at in terms of what their impact can be. You know, and, 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 and maybe we need to shift how we do that. And maybe the starters sort of, you know, regressing to the mean a little bit because they're not being asked to do what they once used yeah, to. And, at and the it's big something league I level. even consider when I, I'm ranking Rays guys, not necessarily when I'm ranking them, but when I'm writing them up in terms of what their future projection could be. Um, because, you know, if they are a Rays pitcher, there's a the potential for uh, they may face guys two or three times through the lineup, but it might be after an opener or it might be out of the bullpen in some way, or it might be in concert with another pitcher. Um, the idea of, Oh, this is definitely a starting pitcher has kind of gone to the wayside. And we talk a little bit more about pitchers being bulk pitchers. Uh, and what that means is again, facing guys two or three times through the lineup, wherever that may be in a game. Um, so yeah, you, you gotta always be on your toes, uh, for how the game is changing and the rankings always are kind of a reflection of those times. Um, so something to keep an eye on. Yep. Spencer, thank you for making us think about this, uh, especially as we edge towards the off season, we look towards 2022, you know, uh, maybe I'll remember this conversation and uh, even within our own team lists, if they don't crack the top 100, maybe you'll start seeing some of those relievers sneaking up closer to the to the top 10 in, in each of uh, your favorite organizations list so we'll, we'll see and we'll uh, we'll continue to to think on that all right sam awesome stuff i think we're going to wrap things up for this week's mlb pipeline podcast don't forget to subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode if you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions like you think sam and i should do this every week and forget about jim and jason who needs them Leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.